just me. A place to be me, where you get to experience life. Life is a journey, not a guided tour. If you want the rainbow, you have to go through the rain. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Just Me. You have Tracy, Sharina, and Sasha, and this month is an exciting month for many. As we go into the month of October and awareness of breast cancer, we are going to pay tribute um, to that and honoring most of our episodes for the month of October. We're going to be focusing on um, breast cancer awareness as well as dealing with the mental aspect. Again, Just Me is about healthy minds and healthy communities. So we're going to share some like, some good information. We're going to do some interviews with individuals that are dealing with cancer, some survivors. We're going to talk to caregivers. We're going to do some episodes. So stay tuned for future episodes. But today's episode, we're just going to touch bases on that initial diagnosis of cancer and the impact that it has on us mentally, whether it's individually, as a family, and as a community. So some of those areas we're going to talk about is coping with our emotions, changes in life, again, caregivers. So when you first get that initial diagnosis that you have cancer, what does it do to you or how are you impacted mentally? So I'm going to start off by saying that um, I can speak from a professional standpoint with this, um, with the diagnosis of cancer and going through that experience of cancer. Um, so a lot of times when we think about changes in life, we talk about um, the grief and loss loss cycle. So um, there's plenty of research out there that says um, there are five to seven stages of grief and loss, and that grief is not linear. It does not go point A, point B, point C, point D, and that instead it's more of a wave and a cyclical thing. So various, various emotions can come into our bodies, our beings, when we talk about the grief and loss process or changes in our life. And what that looks like um, is different, various emotions. So with those emotions, it could be shock, it could be numbness, it could be sadness, denial, despair, anger, worry, guilt, relief, helplessness. And so when we think about grief, grief is how a person responds to the loss. Some of the thoughts that a person can experience would be just disbelief and confusion. Challenge concentrating. And then because our mind is not disconnected from our body, our mind and our body are one. <laughs> Some of the physical things that we can experience include tightness in your throat, tightness in your chest periodically, stomach tightness, changes in your energy level, dizziness periodically, headaches, numbness muscle weakness, and then some of the behaviors that you can experience include sleep challenges or changes with your sleep, changes with your appetite, irritability, changes with your energy, and changes with how you experience your connection to, a, to your religious beliefs or spiritual beliefs, how you see the world. And 
all of these things, all of these experiences that a person is going through is called the bereavement period. And with that period, it can be a month, it can be two years, it can be five years, it can be for the rest of your life because there are always going to be different triggers that come up that cause you to reflect on the experiences that you've had and that you're having. And a lot of times we don't grieve and we don't go through the mourning process the same way. Things that impact that include society, how society kind of kind of infiltrates how we should view a diagnosis, how we should view these changes. And a lot of times it can be very triggering because not all of us view and handle grief the same way. Cultural, religious, those are some of the things that impact how we view the experience that we're going through. One of the things um, I want to kind of give a shout out to the Happiness Lab. Um, it's on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Um, and Dr. Lori Santos, um, a psychologist. Uh, I want to say she is at Yale, but please don't quote me on that. Um, she is, she does this Happiness Lab. And it talks about one of the episodes, it talks about how, um, what does happiness look like after the pandemic? And she had a guest speaker on her show, Amy Commander. Um, and Amy Commander is the medical director at uh, Massachusetts General Hospital. And she does, she works specifically with um, behavioral science for people who have um, been diagnosed with breast cancer. So she has created a booklet and there is a support group, a 12-week support group called Paving the Path to Wellness. It is free. Okay, because I love some free. Um, <laughs> but in that, she talks about within this 12 week program, she talks about how and how do we enhance our body, our mind and our spirit before and during breast cancer treatments. Yeah. And that is significant because she breaks it down into different acronyms that can help people process it, um, process their experience and how they are going through this change in life. Um, one of the things that they had spoke about was an individual named um, James Goff, Dr. Goff. He's um, at Stanford and he did a study where he uh, had participants watch a YouTube video. And it was a sad YouTube video. And then afterwards, he gave them a assignment where they had to concentrate and focus. And a lot of people did not so well on the concentration piece of the experiment after they watched the sad YouTube video. And a lot of times we think about things. So the concept was that when you try to suppress your negative emotion or emotion period, then it impacts other avenues of your body and your ability to function. So when we continue to suppress our feelings down, 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 it does impact other areas of our ability to function. So the whole concept, and even why I brought it up, is that when we pretend like nothing is going on, when we fight or try to fight against these feelings in that process of grief and loss, are we hurting ourselves? Are we doing a disservice to ourselves? Because we're trying to move forward without acknowledging something. Mm -hmm. But how present are we going to be with our next step? 
of needing to concentrate on something. So I say all that to say that um, individually with the grief and loss process and having and finding out a diagnosis, allowing yourself to acknowledge that there are going to be a variety of emotions that you go through. And that is okay. That is completely okay. If we run from them, are we doing more damage to ourselves? And that's something that you would have to be able to answer individually, but I would challenge on the contrary. So with that being said, what do you ladies think or feel? Well, I like how you um, just brought up the emotion part um, in period. To, to sum it up, to say that at the initial um, diagnosis, when you get to receive it, that you're going to be hit with a ball of emotions. And we use that terminology a lot, a ball of emotions. And you went through the shock, fear, anger, um, denial, and acceptance. You, you put, you captured it all under into the grieving process. And we know that it can, you can go in all of them. It's not that straight. You don't hit one. You can have one today, another one tomorrow. Okay. Um, and when you said that initially, I was like, oh, I should have said this in the beginning. Even listening to this episode and the episodes to, to our future episodes for this topic, that you might get hit with a ball of emotions, depend, especially if you are dealing with cancer, you're a survivor or you're a caregiver, that um, depending based on your experience, that some of these episodes you might find a little challenging. It might be a trigger. And so you might find yourself, again, being angry again or not wanting to accept. So be mindful of um, your space and where you're at, too, as you listen to, the, to continue to listen to this episode and um, the future episodes. But when you said that emotions, that um, we go, you're going to get hit with them. And for me, I know these series are going to be different for me because of my own experience. And I'll be shifting. So speaking from a, um, a caregiver. When I went with my sister for her, um, she got diagnosed over the phone. She found out about hers because she, she just left the doctor's office. And when she called me, that initially, how I felt was worse than how she felt because she was more like, oh, well. And I was like, oh. So when you said um, the denial part and the grief, for me, I went straight to the grieving process without finding out anything so um, I think that's one of the most important things that um, as you go on the journey or um, whether you're sitting in the doctor's office even now listening to the episode and you are hit with a diagnosis that you wasn't expecting or you went in for one thing and they come back and tell you something else, that when this ball of emotions comes to hit you, to be prepared and how do you handle yourself with when you're angry in public, you know, mm -hmm. or around in the present. So I'm, I'm glad you kind of started out with uh, putting you in a position that all these different emotions are going to show up like at the same time and everyone is fighting for attention. Yep. <laughs> I want to be so angry, but I want to be so sad at the same time, you know. So and then depending on how you look at um, death, you mentioned something about faith. For my sister, it was a faith journey for her the entire time. Mm -hmm. And. She was strengthened, you know, and the things that made her weak had nothing to do with cancer with other things. But when it came to the um, how she chose to handle say her, her faith was her strength that um, she was able to cope with those emotions as they hit based on her faith. Mm -hmm. And so that was a good thing. And when we go into the different um, support system and resources that 
if church and your faith is part of your support when you get di- a diagnosis like um, that, that you need to um, tap into your strengths, you know, and let your strength help support you during this, uh, during this journey. And I think that kind of leads into um, the next kind of nugget that we're going to offer is the importance of that social support. Miss mm-hmm. Smith? So what we're going to do is we're going to define how that help should look, that help and support should look. So we'll look at three types of support slash help. One is emotional help and support. The second one is practical help and support. And the third one is tangible help and support. The information that I'm going to discuss today, um, I received from the Breast Cancer Network of Australia and also Therapist Aid. The first type of help, emotional help, what does that mean? So basically, you're offering your friend or colleague or church member or whoever you want to define that person as emotional help during their breast cancer journey. So you can assist as it relates to making it being very powerful. Now, how you can help them emotionally? The first thing is just being available to listen. Letting them know that you're available to come over when needed. And as we discussed a few minutes ago about these emotions, allowing them to express those emotions where they are in that moment. There is no need for words from you. We just want you to be available. Next, let her or him know. If you don't mind taking a call from her or him in the middle of the night. Of the night. So really making yourself available any time of the day if you can. Because most of the, some of the times, People that are dealing with this diagnosis, they may lie awake at night worrying. And sometimes having someone on the other end of the phone can be very comforting. Emotional help can also be just be yourself. They're wanting you to be yourself as emotional help. And you don't need to worry about not knowing what to say. And letting them know that you care. Phone her or him at any time but be respectful to their needs. 
try to remember that at times even talking about it may be tiring for them. Try to communicate with that person as it relates to um, when they're doing certain things of the day or during the day. Trying to figure out their schedule because there are times when they don't need you to call. Visit. Show up for them. Be respectful. It may be very helpful if you're going to provide this emotional help to check in by phone first and see if it's okay to check in. And something else I found that was very um, helpful with researching this bliss for emotional help is when you come, they may not want you to bring your husband or your children. They just want you to show up. The next type of help is called practical help. So with practical help, that means that you're doing a lot of things with your hands or just really helping hands-on. So practical help is preparing home-cooked meals for them. Also, maybe bringing frozen meals that they can use when they're, need when they're needed. Helping them with housework. Gardening. Looking out for their pets. Pets. If your friend is going through treatment or surgery, she may find it very diff she or he may find it very difficult to um wash their clothes, vacuuming or iron the ironing their clothes. And also the person that will assist with this practical help, be mindful that it may not be once a week, it may be several times a week. Take out time for shopping for them. Offer them a drive to their medical treatments or, or appointments. And just really asking them what else they would like for you to do. So emotional, number one, is about the mental being available. Practical is mostly about hands-on things, using your hands, using certain types of resources to get things done. The next one is tangible help. Everybody can't do this, but if you can, it would be great. And that is financial assistance. Sometimes people have medical bills they can't afford. They are out of work. So they may have utility bills. Because they're out of work, they can't afford childcare. So financial assistance and help 
is also a type of help that someone will need when they're going through breast cancer. So what are you all thought as it relates to that list? You, you have put out a lot of stuff. So I was actually over here um, just taking some notes um, in a different type of support um, that, that, a, that a person can play because um, you can be that person that plays all of those roles depending on who the person is that come to you. And I say that because, for, again, the journey I went on with my sister, that I had to play all of those roles. Cool. Um, you made one comment about, um, you know, just leave your husband and your children at home and sometimes, you know, just want you to show up because you're the friend. But um, men get breast cancer too. The numbers are just not as high. Yeah. So let's not lose sight of um, of that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you talked about calling and um, checking on a person because based on whatever treatment um, mo- mode that they're in, they might be weak after that certain type of treatment. So even though you want to do the right thing by coming and trying to help and do all that stuff, they might not just have enough strength and they just need some time to reset on their own. So it is important to um, be mindful of that, that when they say no, it's not necessarily, oh, no, I don't need your help. It's mm-hmm. just this ain't a, the good, a good time. Mm-hmm. And to know there's kind of like their schedule will help you in offering your type of services. And then you mentioned another part um, just about being there and being able to listen because some people are just private and they don't want their business out. And oftentimes they feel like once somebody knows that I have this, oh, they're going to treat me different. And they, I don't want that pity party. I want people to really treat me who I am. And you run into that and you don't want it. So you you tend to keep it to yourself or limit and you don't tell anybody till after your your treatment or your journey is over. And then they'd be like, why did you do that? You didn't have to do it on your own. Yeah. But you know why. So people just don't want a pity party. And part of good communication is being a good listener. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you listen to respond or you just listen to he mm-hmm. and just and be that listening ear for um, that person. So again, uh, you might be one, the tangible person, <laughs> that you, if you can do it, do it. Um, you find out something, you drop off water. I remember dropping off water in different things to pick people's houses because they couldn't get out to um, get it. Mm-hmm. There are agencies out there that offer money but um, or services like that. But if you can, you might be that one. Or you might be the one in the middle of the night, I need somebody to talk to. Because when that pain hit, it comes. And we were fortunate, again, being blessed to be able to um, bring my sister into the house for her um for the first two years of her journey. So she was there. So she didn't have to call nobody in the middle of the night. I could hear her yelling. So I could just leave out the room, you know, to go down there. But you might have to be that ear in the middle of, of being in the middle of the night. But in doing so, make sure you still take care of self. Yes. Right. Don't overwhelm and be honest with that person. Mm-hmm. Know your limits. And if you need help, hey, Help me help her. Mm-hmm. And you reach out to, don't try to um, overdo it. Because I believe, Sasha, you mentioned like that can take a toll on you, that stress. We, we overwhelm ourselves and then our body tell us, guess what? You're doing too much. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sit you down. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that that's an, um, a good point is that 
we as human beings like to be in control of any in every aspect of our lives. Um, and pushing yourself to a point where you feel like your body is making you sit down versus intuitively knowing the different signs in your body just says, hey, I might need to take a break. So mm-hmm. being knowing your body well enough to acknowledge, all right, well, my headache is starting to happen every day versus every other day. So maybe I need to sit down and take a break instead of it getting to the point where you are in so much pain and you're so distressed that your body sits you down for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to go back to what Ms. Smith said about t- tangible and practical support, I know that we say that there's a lot of agencies out there, and there are. There are a lot of resources and agencies out there. Um, another way to help support is in, if you don't have the means to financially support, doing the research of other agencies, because I know that when looking up different resources for clients and so um, and patients that I work with, it can be very time consuming and exhausting to look up different agencies, then calling them, may not get a call back until a week later, and then being on the, the wait list. So that in and of itself, that energy mm-hmm. that it takes to look up places Maybe that's how you support the person. Maybe that's how you show up. Um, So that's just another way. If you don't have the financial support, that's fine. We all don't have it. That's okay. But you may have the energy, more energy than your loved one to go through and look for those supports, those agencies. So that help can be in different ways. Mm -hmm. You just have to figure out what's best for you. Because you're going to provide the help because we really want you to be consistent with the help. And just having having the outlet to talk and say, whether it's a therapist, I know they have um, mentorship programs within it. So you want to talk with somebody who's been on that journey before. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you have those different outlets that you can get involved in. But the, it's very important that you know that you are not on this journey alone. Yeah. Um, and I know too, just part of the process, your medical team itself is a team of individuals that are there to help support you. You know, on the medical side of the house, and they are usually always um a assign like a social worker to to help you along that type of along your journey, mm-hmm. along along with you doing your journey. But it's just a lot of stuff that's out there. And for us um to use this platform just to bring awareness to um, again, for the individual, and now we're talking about the support system, that as a caregiver, um, that you are, your mental health is just as important as the person that is with the diagnosis. So, um, and with the person with the diagnosis, anxiety and depression, and like you, you brought out the grief, because sometimes hearing that, you automatically go to straight to the death sentence, because that's the image that cancer has been out to me for the media. It's like cancer means death, the big C. But um, so much has evolved around um, um, in that industry. They have not um, said a cure, like say, according to the FDA, like that. But, you know, if you do research, they, you can Google it's a cure for this, different things out there. Um, they got the holistic approach, different things like that. So from a medical standpoint, that's not what Jessamy is about. You know, we're just talking um the mental health, but depending on what approach you do medically, that is your choice. But from a mental um approach, depression, 
is the same, like say, across the board. Like how you depress is different, but those symptoms are out there. Anxiety is out there. To feel that my life is over because the grief process is out there. And that's, that's kind of like a genuine feeling that goes out there. So to be able to have somebody to talk to when you're feeling that way. Again, we, we talked about that in some of our other episodes. How do I handle stress? How do I handle when I'm depressed? Oh, anxiety kicks in. What, what does that look like? So it's, it's no different. Handle that, that moment with that moment. If I'm depressed in that moment, let me deal with the depression. I might have cancer, but let me deal with this depression to here and, and move forward because you, you're going to go on a roller coaster of emotions until you, um, until you, until you learn to manage it. And that's, that's, that's it. How do, how do I manage these new set of emotions that might show up now that I got this diagnosis? Absolutely. Kind of just to sum up what you said, Ms. Tracy, that, that survival, mm-hmm. that mental health survival, that self-care. Um, and that looks differently for everybody. But um, the thing that you can, the first step that you can take is just being with your breath, allowing yourself to feel that emotion, mm-hmm. recognizing why you feel that emotion, and not criticizing yourself for feeling that emotion. Not chastising yourself to say, oh my goodness, I have to hurry up and snap out of it because I got to get to pick up the kids at 2.30. So that we will be talking about continuously along this month. So some of the takeaways that we have today, we have just acknowledging that the diagnosis, the experience, the journey, however long it is for you, because there are different milestones that may create, recreate triggers, that it's a bereavement process. There's no end date. There's no beginning date. It's what you experience as you go through it and what that means for you. Nugget two. Is Go ahead. Go, you got it. You got it. You got it. <laughs> that support. Making sure that you have, you allow yourself to reach out and utilize those supports. Because connection is very, very important. You might be an introvert, but you still require some sort of connection. You may not need as much as an extrovert. But during this hard time, you do need that connection. And then your own survival self-care kit. Whatever that looks like for you in that self-journey, but starting off with your breath (laughs) and your emotions and allowing yourself to feel that way. All right, ladies, good work today. This is this is truly gonna be a a journey. Yeah. Again, I say for me because um, just my own experience in the past, and even now, because we do have a family member that's dealing with it. So I'm I'm a I'm a switch different roles. I'll be saying a lot of personal stuff probably during these um episodes. But again, that um my story will help your story. Um, hands down, I I know. <laughs> Because it's, 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 it's been a journey and it's just a different um, emotions from day to day. So I'm really looking forward to um, our next episode because we get to talk to um, a survivor 
someone that had had to receive that diagnosis and we get to hear the mental journey that that, um, that that person went through. So do join us for our next episode of Just Me. And until next time, take care of yourself so that we can take care of each other. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Just Me Podcast. If you are seeking further one-on-one consultations, worksheets, and action steps from the ladies at Just Me Podcast, please review the monthly subscription packages starting at $9.99 at www.patreon.com backslash Just Me Podcast and the number one. If you are seeking further one-on-one diagnoses, interventions, and treatment plans, please consider scheduling an appointment with an individual counselor at Journeys Counseling Center. Journeys can be reached at 336-294-1349. The mission of Just Me Podcast is to use authentic conversations to uplift one's mind, body, and soul. The goal of Just Me Podcast is to offer affordable education and insight to individuals who experience financial barriers to accessing individualized behavioral health support. With that being said, the information, including opinions, advice, and recommendations discussed in this podcast, is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Such information is not intended to substitute the recommendations of your own licensed therapist or healthcare provider. Although we are licensed behavioral health professionals, we are not your licensed behavioral health professional. As a result, the advice mentioned on this podcast should not replace the recommendations offered by your own qualified health professional.